I'm going to be continuing our series on being and making disciples, part two, as he is. We talked about last week the importance of what it means to be a disciple, how it is basically to be like Jesus. It tells us in 1 John 4.17 that as he is, so are we in this world, that he is our example. And we talked about how the disciples would follow the rabbi and their intent was to be just like the rabbi, to represent him well. And I was thinking of moving forward on how to, or making disciples and what that looks like. But last week after I spoke, my wife asked me some questions and you know, everyone else's questions, I'm like, yeah, go on, give it to me. My wife asked me a question. It's like she knows me too well. She knows how to ask the questions that really make me think. You know, and so she said, I have a question. You know, I go, oh, no. You know, whenever she has a question, I'm going to have to really think. And so she said, well, what does that look like? How do you become a disciple? I mean, what you talked about, you know, living right, you talked about act, you know, acting right, feeling right, thinking right. How do you do that? And I thought, oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, and so what we want to do is, is kind of connect to how we become disciples. Jesus said in Mark 12, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with your strength. This was the example of what it means to be a disciple. And last week we talked about thinking right, about acting right, and about feeling right. And we talked about that center was the sweet spot of what discipleship looks like, what it means to, to be a disciple. But how do you act right? I mean, sometimes I, I act right. It's, you know, usually when I first wake up or, or go to sleep, you know, it's before I start engaging my mind. It's before I have the opportunity to do anything. I, I, I don't do all the right things all the time, and you don't either, so I don't feel so bad. <laughs> but you, like me, have a difficulty. We find that in our own strength, we are feeble and we are weak. And how do you think right? How do you keep your mind from going to the wrong places for being judgmental, for thinking lustful thoughts, for, for thinking evil things, for being selfish? Again, that usually happens when I'm asleep, I think. You know, I, I don't, it's hard for me to guard those things. In fact, the scripture tells us, but how do we do that? And how do we feel right? Yeah, right. You know, how do you do that? Anyone here have any problems with feelings? You see, the, these are areas where it is very difficult for us. And what we need to do is recognize that there is something critical for us in order to do these things properly. There's something that is essential for us. Now, Early on, the Chinese people developed ceramics. They had teacups and pottery, the plates, and they were far advanced from any other society in this regard. 
In fact, it wasn't until years, hundreds of years later that the European nations went to China and saw their ceramic, and then we got what we call China. You know, you have your fine China. Well, we got it from them. They developed these things. They were very much ahead of their time in a lot of areas. And their China was par excellence. It was beautiful. It was fired well. It was sturdy. It was durable. It was fine. And it was something that they relied so heavily on that they bypassed other things that were taking place. While they were investing in their ceramics and their china, the European nations developed glass. Now, the early forms of glass, they didn't look as nice as the china. It was a little distorted. The Europeans liked their wine and they liked to see the wine through the glass and they, they appreciated being able to see those things. It was visually apparent, appeasing to them. And so they developed glass and, and worked on developing that area while the Chinese maintained their ceramic. Well, glass later on was able to be ground and made into lenses. And now by making glass into a lens, you could get glasses, telescopes, microscopes. And so now the learned people, the intelligent people, the people in the scientific community by being able to wear glasses, had another 15 to 20 years that they were able to invest in their work just because they were able to use glasses. That means they were able to push their civilization further because of this invention. And you see, the Chinese didn't start developing glass until the 19th century. So from the 1400s, when they started developing glass in the European countries to the 1900s, China fell behind. Before, they had gunpowder. They were advanced in so many areas, but because they didn't invest in glass, it hindered their progress, and they fell way behind in the other nations. Scientifically, using glass because it doesn't contaminate the chemicals that are in there. Just so many things that glass later produced. And it was thought a small thing. Oh, we don't need glass. Look at our, our pottery. Look at our ceramics. Look at our china. It's known throughout the world. And they relied on that. And they fell behind. And the th same thing happens to us. We know all the things about God. We, we have the information. We have the instruction. But without the Spirit... There can be no Christianity. Discipleship from the awakening and understanding to the con conversation and conversion to the maturity is birthed in the Spirit, but it is also maintained in the Holy Spirit. And if we don't recognize that, we will fall behind in all these areas of what it means to be a disciple. We will come up short. We will be blind to what is available to us because we do not have what it takes. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, I don't want to get too much focused on the work of the Holy Spirit and 
all that that manifests itself in our lives. I want to try and keep on target with discipleship, but we need to be clear on a few things. The disciples, as they walked with Jesus and they learned from Jesus, they did not have the new covenant until after Jesus died and rose again. That was required for the Spirit of God to be able to come within them. And in John's gospel, we see an interesting picture where Jesus is risen again. He comes before his disciples and he tells them, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathes on them and they received the Spirit. The Spirit of God came in their lives. They were what we would call born again, the new covenant that Ezekiel and Isaiah talk about was now a part of their lives. But even after that took place, Jesus tells them that they need to stay in the city until they are clothed with power from on high. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, where there was the power of the Spirit that came upon their lives and gave them the ability to be witnesses, testimony of who Jesus is. And you see, that is what is needed in our lives. If we are going to walk like Jesus walked, if we are going to act like Jesus acted, if we are going to have control of our feelings and feel compassionate in the things that Jesus felt, what is needed is the Holy Spirit. He is the requiring link for these things to take place in our lives. And if we neglect this, we will fall short of what it means to be a disciple. It is crucial, and it is necessary, and it is oh so helpful. And so we want to look at what that looks like in these areas of our lives to be filled and powered with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing we want to talk about is the power to act right. The power to do the right things, to to live the right way. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. God has given us this. He has poured him out into our lives. He has given the Holy Spirit to give us the power to have hope, and to be able to move forward in the things that we have. You see, the giving of the Spirit is not only an act of unprecedented love, but it should also inspire love in us because God is love. And so one of the things of acting right is to love. And Jesus gave us a whole new form of what it means to love. He said to love your enemies, to pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That is not in our nature. That goes against the grain as far as we are concerned. And so what God needs to do is pour His love within us by the Holy Spirit to give us understanding of God's love for us. You see, why do we love God? Because He first loved us. He gave himself for us. And the recognition and connection to God's love by the Holy Spirit opens our understanding to how we are now to love others. Even when they mistreat us. 
even when they don't do things that are good or proper, even when they are living in sin, God so loved the world and gave his son. And while we were yet sinners, God poured out his love towards us. You see, this is a love that comes from God, and it's a love that needs to overtake our lives. The Holy Spirit needs to develop this within us and to pour this out from us. You see, there's a never-ending exploration of the redemptive power of love that is to take place within our lives. And if we are going to act like Jesus, we need to love like Jesus. Because that is what he told us. The first command is what? Love the Lord your God. And we've talked about this before. If you know the right thing but love the wrong thing, you will make the wrong choice. But when we love God, our choices are then enveloped in his love. And now we have the Holy Spirit at work within us. That acting right is also maturing us, developing a, a maturity within us. Paul says, when I was a child, I did childish things. When I became a man, I put away those childish things. Well, for us to grow and to become mature, we need the work of the Spirit doing that correction, the reproving, the chastening that is necessary for us. We also see that it requires us to be risk takers, to act and do things that we would normally fear for. How did the church expand in the early days when they were being persecuted? They were being beaten for their faith and they did not turn back. Why? Well, we see through the book of Acts, they were constantly being filled and strengthened with the Holy Spirit. It is a necessity if we are going to act and live the right life. Part of acting and doing the right things is also miracles. Now, this is where we trip out because you talk about miracles and automatically, I don't know about you guys, but my mind goes to televangelists. And I think, no. I, God, I don't, I almost don't care if that's what you want. I, I just don't want to be like that. Now, of course, I care what God wants, but I don't want to be artificial. I don't want to be phony. I don't want to have to be sensational. I don't want to have to dance around. And, and I went to a Pentecostal church years ago, and, and Sister Rita would fall on the floor every Sunday and, and start, you know, convulsing there by the Holy Spirit. And at first it was entertaining, and then it got kind of routine. It's like, there she goes again. And it's like, you know, this is a sign of holiness. I don't think so. I, I don't feel this. And there is such a misuse of what it means to be filled with the Spirit that we have a tendency to, to go to the other extreme and just say, yeah, I'll, I'll keep away from that. But you see, miracles were a part of the early church, and we should expect them to be a part of our lives as well. We see in Acts chapter 2, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. It means I'm going to be revealing myself to this last generation. I'm going to be speaking to them. I'm going to be involved with them. I'm going to be a part of their lives. We have to ask the question, is that a part of our life? Are we welcoming that or are we content with doing a religious ritual that is void of life. 
And if we are, we are not acting like Jesus. Because the works that he did, his church did as well. In Acts 8.13 it says, Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Also in 1911, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. God does miracles. I heard just recently of a, a young child who was healed of leukemia over at Calvary Chapel and, and Chino Hills. And, and it's a testimony that God touched and did a miraculous thing. Do we pray that God would heal? Do we expect God to heal? I know he doesn't every time. I think we all know that. But do we expect him to? Do we pray, God, do the miraculous because you are God of all flesh. There is nothing too difficult for you. You can do this. I believe in you. What about miraculous provision? I know that there's been a number of times in my life where God has come in. He does it almost every month. You know, where he comes in and he provides just what is necessary so you don't sink. And I know from you, I've heard many stories of how God has done the miraculous. You see, the miraculous is a part of God and it should be a part of our lives as well. And if it's not something that we recognize and expect, then who are we worshiping? Who are we praying to? Why are we praying? If we don't expect God to hear and we don't expect God to answer. Direction, provision, illumination, God speaking, giving us signs, giving us visions, instructing us what to do, how to speak to people. This should be a, an active part of our lives. Another thing in acting right is to be unity. We are to have unity within the church. In Ephesians 4.13 it says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The Spirit's job is to give us this unifying spirit. It says in Acts chapter 2, when they were all together in one accord, then the Holy Spirit fell upon them. We saw that there was this common vision, this common sight. It happens again in the book of Acts when they were together assembled with this unifying spirit that God was then able to work in and through them. And if there is not a unifying spirit, we are hindering the work of God. Now that takes place not just from church to church. That takes place within a body of believers. That takes place within friendships. When you go home and you say, man, I can't believe what that girl was wearing. Oh, I can't believe what that guy, can you believe with Sam? You know, I can't believe that he said that. Oh my gosh. Don't say that. Uh, you can talk, but if you start gossiping, if you start backbiting, if you start causing dissension with one another, do you expect the Spirit of God to work in and through us? If we are not unified in purpose and goal, if we are nitpicking on silly things, if we are being very judgmental, very attitude-y, that is a sign that the Spirit of God is not moving in us. And if we want to act like God, we need the Spirit to change us in all these areas, to, to be like Jesus. The Spirit's job is to help us to live like Jesus. And you and I cannot do it without His help.
We're going to talk about that a little bit more and what that looks like. The next thing we talked about is having the right feelings. Now, this is a tough one. How, how do you have the right feelings? Oh, my gosh. We are talking with someone last night at a, a little get-together we were having uh, for a young man who's going away into the Air Force, and I was talking to this couple, and they were telling me, oh, my son, you know, he, he's working in construction, and he works six, you know, stories up on scaffolding, and I'm like, oh, no, what am I going to do? He's going to fall off. You know, I don't want my son working that high and working that dangerous. And then Karina and I were there. Our son is working six floors under the water. He's a diver. He works, you know, 130 feet below the water, and he posts these pictures on Facebook. This dive was 133 feet, and mom goes, oh, God, you know, oh, Lord, be with my son. You know, the mama just kind of comes out and says, oh, no, how do you have control of your feelings? We're to have peace. John 14, 26, Jesus says, but the counselor, this is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I think above all, one of the things we desire most is to have peace. Peace for our children. Peace for our financial status. Peace for our health or those that we love. Peace at home. Peace at school or on the job. And to not be afraid. These are things that we need. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you someone. He's going to counsel you. He's going to comfort. I'm going to leave peace with you. Not a peace that you get in the world. This is different. We are told in Philippians 4 that we are to be anxious about nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication we're to, to make our requests known to God and that the peace of God that is above our ability to understand will guard our hearts and our minds. You see, the Holy Spirit's job is to bring us peace. In an emotionally filled and charged world, we need peace. And he's there to give it to us. And so how important is it for us to tap into this and to recognize its importance in our lives? He's also there to give us liberation and transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, what Paul is talking about here in this passage, in chapter 3, he's talking about how Moses, 
went and received the law that was basically the judgment for these people. And when he received the law, he had to veil his face because the people could not look at him. And now he's saying, we don't have to have that veil any longer. That veil is removed, and the Lord, there is this freedom. And so we with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. The Lord now by his Spirit invades our life, gives us freedom, transforms us, changes us into his image, and now we don't have to veil our faces. We reflect the glory of God. Why? Because we are set free. We don't have condemnation on us. Have you ever been waiting for uh, the results of a test? You know, they post them there on the wall, and it's finals or something, and you go out to see your grade, and you're just waiting, anticipating, wondering, man, did I pass? Am I going to have to be, you know, in the 12th grade for another year, you know? okay, three's a charm, you know, you're just kind of wondering, how am I getting past this? And you go up there and you see, you passed. Maybe even got a good grade. And A, what do you do? Yeah! Oh, you're excited. Why? It's a relief. I'm free. I don't have to worry about that class. Mrs. Gibson, you're out of my hair. I'm just done. Do you realize that you can go up to the chart And where it had your sin, it says, paid, you're free. It's done. I am not under judgment by God. I am free. And now I have the ability to have this relationship with the living God because he took away my sin. The freedom that brings into our lives so that we can now reflect the glory of God because he has dealt with our sin. We have this freedom. We have this transformation from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's an important part. Another thing that feeling right is also intimacy. Romans 8, 15 and 17, it says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. We just talked about being set free, not being afraid. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. How do we do that? It is by his Holy Spirit indwelling in our lives, becoming our life, making his home within us the new covenant. I will write my law on your hearts and on your minds. I will be your God. You will be my people. We will call him Abba, Father. We have a closeness. We've been set free. The Spirit now is a part of our lives, convicts us with sin, gives us direction, gives us strength, guards us in our emotions and brings us into this intimate relationship He gives us discernment. The last thing, and I I think one of the most important things, is right thinking. Jesus said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them 
You possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. As important as theology is in guiding our understanding of God, it must never be allowed to substitute our relationship. And what has happened in many churches is there has become this increasing in knowledge and understanding and theology is good and knowledge is good but there has been a sacrifice of relationship and it becomes a mild form of idolatry when we worship our knowledge of God instead of worshiping God and there's a, a chasm difference. And thinking right about God is an understanding of our relationship and connection to him, is a recognition that it's, it's really about Jesus being a part of our lives and being involved in our lives. You see, part of our problems is we think that the word holy is passive. We think of the word holy as a list of don't do these things. You know, don't get drunk. You know, don't have uh, sexual relations outside of marriage. Don't curse. Don't gossip. And yeah, those are things you shouldn't do. But you see, that's not what makes a person holy is to stop doing things. What makes a person holy is the Spirit of God changing us and making us more like Jesus. In fact, you think about the Spirit's work is dynamic. It is engaged in making a person holy. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you is going to perfect it into the day of Christ. The Spirit can legitimately be translated, translated instead of just Holy Spirit, sanctifying Spirit. His job is to convict us of sin and push us forward. And when you think of Jesus as being holy, do you think of Jesus as not doing certain things? Or do you think of Jesus being active in doing the things of God? You see, holiness isn't just a passive thing. It's an active thing in this relationship we have with God. I hear him speak, so I repeat. I hear him ask what to do, and so I act. I, I hear his voice where to go, and so I move. I am actively involved. That's what Jesus did. The things the Father says, that's what I say to you. The things the Father tells me to do, that's what I do. That's what holiness is. It's not a matter of we don't do these things, and we do do these things. It's this connection to the living God that transforms our lives and pushes us into a deeper and deeper relationship with him so that God is intertwined with us. You can't separate him from our lives. We are connected. He is so much a part of us that it is evidence in us. And, and you see, we have reduced the role of the Holy Spirit because we have the Holy Scriptures, but it's not the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's job to work within us. The Scriptures give us guidelines. Theology is good, but it doesn't 
replace the relationship with God. And some people think that if I just read the Bible, I will have a relationship with God. And we end up becoming like the Pharisees. Well, I know all these things. And what I know, I start teaching and instructing, but there is no dynamics. There's no relationship. God is not speaking to you. God is not at work alive within you. It's just a matter of rehearsing, a matter of knowledge. And there's a big difference and there's a danger for us, especially in the Western church, because we are so proliferate, we're so filled. <laughs> I feel like Porky the Pig, you know. <laughs> we have so much instruction that we think instruction is enough without the relationship. And the right thinking is to have this right relationship with God. And think about any relationship you have. If you're married, if you have a relationship with your kid, it doesn't matter if you know all these things about that person. Well, I know my wife's favorite food. I know her favorite colors. Well, if I don't interact with her in those things, then what good is that knowledge? You have to be involved. And the Spirit is there to help us in this area. Instead of looking at holiness as a list of don'ts, Look at it as a list of do's. Look at it as a way to live a life. It's not about being a detached, judgmental, culturally colorless person. It means being like God, who was far from a person who was don'ts. It's being like Jesus, who was far from a person of rules and regulations. Indeed, the role of the sanctifying spirit is to help us in this task. We need to understand that to live a Christian life is a, to live a life in constant dependence upon God. We see it throughout the book of Acts. We see it, Luke, we're not going to go there. Oh, I didn't have that. Okay. Throughout the book of Acts, after chapter 2, when the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, we see that they were filled again and again. Chapter 2, verse 4, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. In chapter 4, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, in chapter 4, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In chapter 9, then Ananias went into the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13:9. then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at Elimaeus, Acts 13.52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We see that there is this constant refueling that takes place in the life of those who are connected to Jesus. And so it's one thing when the Spirit came into them, John 20, as we talked about, when he breathed into them, but we see that there is a, another pouring upon, filling, 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 empowering that takes place throughout their lives. And, and I wonder if that is taking place in our lives. And, and 
the thing I love about God is God does not make this difficult. You don't have to, to wonder, how hard is it, you know, God? How do I get filled with the Spirit? I, I want this power. I want to, to be able to have the power to act and do the right things. I want the, the power to be able to have the control of my emotions and feel and move in the right way. I want the power to, to guard my mind and the things that I think and to live that right life. How do I do it? We'll turn to Luke chapter 11. Verses 9 and 13. It's just like Jesus to make it easy enough for a child to understand. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And this is where We have to apply this. We have to not be satisfied with a life that is void of an active work of the Spirit in our lives. We can't be satisfied with a life that doesn't hear from God, that doesn't see God answer prayer. We have to keep asking. We, we can't be satisfied with a life that is overrun with emotion, fear, and worry. We need to ask God to help us. We can't be satisfied with living a life that is constantly failing to, to walk and to do the right things. We need to ask God to give us strength. And you see, if you really want God to work in your lives, you need to ask Him to give you His Spirit, to empower you, so that you can live that life. Well, I did ask him three years ago. You need to ask him again. And you need to ask him again. And you need to knock. And you need to ask. And you need to seek. And you need to cry out for God to give you his spirit so that you can live this life. Because without it, you can't. We can't. It is beyond our ability. And if we try in our ability, we'll become just Pharisees. Well, I know all this. I know all this. And I live this sanctimonious life. And pretty soon, we start judging people. Pretty soon, we think we're better than. We stop loving the way God asks us to love. And we stay in this stagnant relationship. And so I, I want us to understand the importance of this in our lives. And I want you to ask. And, and I want to make opportunity 
for us to ask. And that's why I said we were going to do some music at the end because in, in my life, many times through singing and worship, it has been an avenue for me to be able to ask God for these things, to be able to cry out to God that he would fill me, to cry out for God that he would cleanse me, to cry out to God that he would do a work within me. And it has been a form of prayer for me to be able to approach God with this request. I need the Holy Spirit's work within my life. I need him to empower me. I need him to strengthen me. I need you, God. Because to walk this walk, to live this life, it is impossible unless you quicken me, make me alive, alive to you. And so I want to set aside some time. We're going to sing some more songs. And I pray that during this time, you would ask, that you would seek, that you would knock. And maybe nothing's going to happen this morning. You're not going to get a lightning bolt. You're not going to speak in tongues. You're not going to roll on the floor. Please don't. Huh? But maybe the Spirit of God is going to ignite within your heart, within your mind, within your soul, His power. And then you're going to fan that flame by seeking Him, by praying, by asking Him, by living a dynamic relationship with the living God so that He can make a powerful difference in your life. Let's take some time now and worship the Lord.